0: Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters, I'm Farafini. Through conversations with everyday people, Mind and Soul Matters aims to broaden our understanding of mental health and spirituality, and to deepen our insights into the challenges and meaning of our lives. Our guest today is Graham Mabry, a Baptist minister and an advocate for social justice helping the homeless mentally ill and the lonely. Soon after graduating from university in the late 1960s, Graham taught special programs in secondary school working with youth, designing and implementing youth rehabilitation programs, public speaking on youth issues and working with homeless young people. As a notable public speaker, Graham became presenter of Radio 6PR's Nightline program for over 3 decades, a record for a commercial radio. During this period, Graham established Lifeline WA in response to the community's need for counselling services. Graham has received numerous awards for his outstanding service to humanity including Western Australian Citizen of the Year for Community Service and Senior of the Year Community Service Awards. I'm really looking forward to having a soulful conversation with Graham about what makes a good life. Welcome Graham. it's wonderful to have you here.
1: Thanks, I'd love to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Graham, you have done so much and achieved so much in your life so far, and we'll talk about that shortly. But let's start with what has been the greatest challenge or hardship you've faced in your life?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. And all of us, I guess, can um, draw on several. Uh, so when you say, what's the hardest? Uh, It was really very challenging for me to grow up in a very loving, strong, loving nuclear family, but with a degree of dysfunction in the extended family. And for that and other, not, not particularly exciting reasons, but for that and other reasons, we were constantly on the move, even though my dad was quite successful. I certainly know the longest I ever had in any one school was eighteen months. My count, which I think is accurate, uh, was about fifteen schools between starting and getting to the end of year twelve. So there was a challenge there of just never feeling as though you belonged anywhere. And so you always had you didn't have the school uniform, you didn't know anybody and and in those days, especially uh, my vintage of uh, Australian society, there weren't anti-bullying programs. Was life. It wasn't even known as bullying. So, so that that, that was tough, and uh, I think it damaged me more than I realised for longer than I realised. And then my parents had always prayed that they would uh, go together, and they did pass away in quite a remarkable way. That prayer was answered, which was lovely for them. Uh, they they actually went within a month, within three, just a bit over three weeks of each other. But it wasn't too wonderful for us, you know, dealing with that loss, a uh, compounded loss. And then on my 40th birthday, uh, the uh, station and the telecommunications people at Telstra, as it was then, made an arrangement. And I was going to fly to New Zealand and do a broadcast back to Australia as a surprise sort of birthday present. And then I went into the office to drop off some papers before heading to to pick up my wife and go to the airport and discovered that my producer and uh, the the tour people had been in a bus which had crashed coming off Mount Cook one lovely lady uh, was killed 14 were injured and so I was flying across to New Zealand not to do a, a surprise 40th birthday visit with the touring party and broadcast but going to see if we could help the wounded, the 14 severely injured, and medevac them back and sitting across the aisle from the very grief stricken son of the lady who'd been killed. So there was the shock, the loss, the feeling of responsibility, the uncertainty for a while knowing that my producer was all right And all this happens when you're supposed to be, God's supposed to be on your team. So Mm. where does all this come from? Mm. So yeah, that's probably, because it was so unexpected and exactly when it should have been a time of celebration, that was probably the worst.
0: Right. What, through these challenges that you've described, and there's quite a few there, losses, Mm. the childhood bullying, Mm. moving around, not feeling like you belong, what sort of impact has that had on your life, and how have you worked through those challenges?
1: Mm. I'm only realizing, probably in the last two or three years, how much impact it has when that you don't know it's having. You know, that you're it's greater than you realize, mm-hmm. uh, because in a sense, because it's cumulative, it starts to feel like normal almost. So,
0: and what made you realize?
1: I think. You know, as you get to my um, yeah, my my age starts with a seven now, and and uh, when you get to this chapter and you kind of look back a bit, as as uh, as we do, and look at what was happening, you realise that when I say destructive behaviours, I wasn't robbing banks or killing, yeah, you know, but not a good life. Things that were self destructive that had come from damage in those days. In ways that I hadn't realised, so can you there give can us be an
0: example of yeah, a destructive behaviour.
1: Yeah, probably. Uh, let me give you two sides of a coin: the the, the negative side and the positive. Mm-hmm. From those days and a couple of other things, had grown an aching need to belong, so a deep insecurity, and so therefore, it's very easy, especially where I was working, and even in a, in any setting especially as a public speaker, to seek your validation in the response of others. Mm-hmm. So if it goes really well and you're successful, then you tend to find... And, and so, therefore, you live with quite a deep insecurity that nobody knows about. Like Anyone looking at me from the outside would have gone, this guy's really going... And I was going very well, Now I'm blessed and grateful. But inside, there's this finding your validation in the opinion and approval of others mm-hmm. and uh, and so that that's the negative side but the positive side is that i know intimately what it is to feel like you're in an almost in a kind of a cone of silence you don't belong you're not really part of this and and sometimes it's because there was bullying sometimes you just do it to yourself in your own head mm-hmm. but It meant when I was a broadcaster, I really knew what it was like for people who would ring up and want to be heard. And they go about it all the wrong, like so often happens, they do everything conceivable to mess it up and not be heard. But because I understood where they live a bit, enough to be able to think, no, hang on, I can help you I can help you get across what I think you want to convey. And at least at the end of this call, have you thinking, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. So plus and minus.
0: Right. And that leads into what I wanted to ask about now with uh, Lifeline WA. Mm. And in many of our episodes, we refer our listeners in Australia who may be feeling distressed to contact Lifeline which you set up. Mm. Can you tell us how that came about?
1: Yeah, I, yes, I can. Uh, actually, it, it's it's interesting in that if you had said to me as, say, a 15- or 16-year-old that one day I would be on radio presenting, then I would have honestly thought you are on the mushrooms and hallucinogens. <laughs> uh, and so I, it was never part of the plan for me. But through my work with homeless young people and then I got to produce the sesquicentennial celebration for the churches of WA and and in other contexts got to mix with Neil Adcock who started Nightline in WA. He he approached me to take over when he was going to Canberra and they ran some auditions and the door opened up for me at 6pm. But Neil had already discovered that, because he was a legendary broadcaster, he'd discovered that many people were ringing back in the day when there weren't the phone services there are now. They were ringing in with personal issues that were too complex to bring to air. They couldn't appropriately. Some some radio presenters did in a way that I thought was really, really poor, really bad, because they were simply using someone's crisis as a bit of colour on the palette to, to win listeners. Uh, We were committed, Neil and I, to know this this needs to be dealt with as appropriately as we can. While I was on the air at night, these lovely people volunteered to come in and take the phone calls off air. And we, so we called them off air counselors, which you couldn't say these days for legal reasons, but that back then it was okay. They were off air counselors. And while I was broadcasting, I would say, if you have, if you're facing something or dealing with something that's too personal or complex to bring it to air, you can ring these numbers now. And back then, we were kind of feeling our way without other models to look at really and see, because we didn't know of anyone else doing similar things. And then we realised, of course, pretty quickly the need for some sort of supervision, some sort of debriefing for the people taking the calls. And so that progressively grew to where Lifeline Australia was looking for a national footprint, and uh it was just one of those great coincidences of time and place and person we were we were exactly what they were looking for and they were exactly the philosophical fit that we wanted so so it was just a, a meeting of uh, of similar minds and so then we became lifeline wa which is now what you see and know it was... That's so it started
0: in 1980s with exactly just a couple right. of people. Yes. you identifying with that's some others, it. this yeah. need, and now it's reaching thousands of people and saving yep. lives. The yep. Amazing 24-hour service.
1: 13, 24. 11, 14,
0: 24-7. And, Graham, as I've said earlier, you've lived a life of service and unfortunately we don't have time to go into all the amazing things you've no. done, but you have certainly uh, devoted your life to... Advocating for social justice and a life of service. From your experience, Graham, what would you define as a good life and what do you think helps us live well?
1: Well, it's a huge question. Where do I begin? I guess in my life of service, I'm always, uh, if I hear people speak of it, I always feel compelled to say, Look, I just, God happened to make me the tip of the iceberg, the visible face mm. but there's this massive all those people who came in night after night after night to answer phones and at, at one point we were running an interagency christmas appeal and a blanket appeal giving support to lone fathers uh, crisis care with all those things that we did there's this army of volunteers not seeking any any recognition or kudos selflessly giving their time so that recognition you know is on their very much on their behalf and I guess that's a step into what it is to lead a good life because they they had discovered the difference between celebrity and significance in working and living in media you're surrounded with this myth of celebrity and it's interesting that no matter how many people And no matter how many celebrities have major, major crash and burn incidents, sadly, in their lives, no matter how often the celebrity sports person or whatever, it doesn't matter, is sitting in front of an advertising hoarding apologizing and saying, I want to apologize to all those that I've let down. That we still cling to this myth of celebrity, and which to me personally shows we're made to worship something. And so these people these lovely volunteers had learned the difference between that and a life that's significant and for me how do you discover significance because i had this damage going on but i didn't i wasn't aware of it so i i had these behaviors i was bothered by the symptoms and as i say there were to anyone looking on from the outside yeah, they wouldn't know they would just think you're doing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had to be married to me because my wife used to keep <laughs> saying, if this is not going to end well, <laughs> these behaviours are not helpful. And with that arrogance that you have when you're younger and maybe older too, but oh, of course I know. And that mercifully, in a way that I won't go into the detail, but mercifully my private life just imploded and in about 48 hours, I came to see that but for God's providence and grace, uh, I would have been, I may have been publicly known, but for all the wrong, because of my own stupidity and silly choices. And so I i then came to a point of thinking, all right, by that stage, I'd been around the church. And I would say I'd been a believer, a follower of Jesus for. Some time, but very much on my terms, very much, you know, I serve, I was prepared to serve God in an advisory capacity. And uh,
0: I like that. (laughs) So
1: long as I can keep the handle, thank you. And then, and I thought, well, I could see in it in that moment, you know what, my life, but for providence and grace, I could be, uh, it, it could be really so bad. And so I've had my go and stuffed it up. So what if I take what I've, Learned. What if I take the New Testament, not as something just to be discussed or appreciated as literature or considered or debated? Nothing wrong with any of that, but to actually be lived. I came across a Chesterton quote: "That Christianity hasn't been tried and found to fail; it's been found too costly and not tried." So my my Aussie pragmatic approach was: I'm going to we together, Merle and I, will try. If it works, I'll tell people, and if it doesn't work, I'll tell people. Mm-hmm. And so, we in time after that, not long after that, left my secure ABC job, went into this work with homeless young people where uh, we literally didn't have any, there were no government funds, we had no guarantees of a wage next week. We were really trusting that if He's called, if God's called us to do this, He'll provide. And if he hasn't, and he doesn't, then we shouldn't be doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, so week by week, fortnight by fortnight, we step through that journey of, and and I guess that, so, so what do I say to people who aren't at that point yet or don't share my worldview? Is there a principle there? For me, it does all tie back into that relationship to Jesus, but somebody from a different faith team mm-hmm. was in Auschwitz, and uh, he, uh, Victor Frankel, is one mm-hmm. of the, one of my great heroes. Yes, mine and, too. Uh, there you go. And he, so so, people should check his story out. But he's a quote of his, just resonates resonates deeply with me. And that is, he said, uh, as he observed, you know, why do the apparently weak live and the apparently strong die? And and he said, I, I've discovered that if there is a purpose, anything can be tolerated. But if there is no purpose, even the slightest frustration becomes unbearable. And I've said to groups of nurses, teachers, police groups, if every little, we all have bad days. We all have times when we get frustrated and things just, we think, oh, blow this. Every pastor gets there. But if you're constantly frustrated by every little thing, pretty sure sign, and and I guess people listening to this podcast, what's your purpose?
0: And I love that. Graham, you, you know, you give that very clear, this, how we can live a good life, Mm. how we can live well, and it is to find our purpose. And I think that can, anyone can relate to that, whether of any, anyone of any faith or no faith, we can all find our purpose. Hugh McKay, who is one of my favourite authors. Mine too. (laughs) Yours too. He's a social psychologist, a researcher, and This episode was inspired by one of my favourite books that he's written, The Good Life, and I'd like to just quote from him. He says, which fits in very nicely Mm. with what you've said, if you listen to the hollow promises and claims of parts of our society, you could assume ownership of an iPhone, a Ferrari, and a waterfront home is all you need to be happy. However, if you listen to your soul And I love this. If you listen to your soul and maintain your own counsel, you will hear a more insistent voice urging you to enjoy the true fruits of what it is to be human. And first among these are the rewards of assisting those less fortunate than ourselves. Mm. And in summary, his book really talks about, A good life is not the sum of our security, wealth, status, postcode, career, success, or even levels of our happiness, because often people, I think, equate happiness to a good life. Mm -hmm. But he makes that very clear through his research, and these aren't just his opinions, this is based on the research he's done. And he says that a good life is defined by our capacity for selflessness and our willingness to connect with others in a useful
1: way—the mm. greatest freedom we ever experience is when we become free of being trapped in ourselves, free of our own self-absorption. Mm. That story comes back to my mind of uh, uh, we one of the ways we tried to reach out to the epidemic of loneliness, people, and we defined that as people who are more alone than they want to be. Because mm-hmm. I also do lead our church runs silent retreats each year, and people there just love the solitude that's different Mm -hmm. but trying to reach out to loneliness the we used to phone isolated people uh, and on a a roster basis just to check that they were fine how are you going have a chat la, la la and we had a thank you function for our phoners our volunteers There's a lady in the corner and some of the people that we rang we invited both one of the lady in the corner in a wheelchair and so, never assume anything. I assumed that she was somebody that we called, mm. so I went over and said, "Now, who phones you?" And she kind of she she was one side of her was paralyzed, the other side was fine, and with her one good eye, she sort of fixed me and said, "I'm one of the people who phones Graham." Mm. and I said, "Oh my, well, that's fantastic. I'm sorry about the wrong assumption." And she said, "Well." Yeah, one side of me doesn't work too well, but you only need one hand to dial a phone. Mm. And now she would have been oh, high 70s at least. Mm. And I asked her, "So why do you do this?" "Oh, I, I just think it's good to be there for the old people." Oh. That's what I mean about purpose. If you if you escape yourself, you're on the the path to freedom, you know? Don't don't and gain I, the whole world and lose your soul.
0: And I think that really illustrates how we can in today's society, we can get trapped into chasing that celebrity status, whatever that might mean for us. But yes. really, what we can—any of us can be—we can be of significance. So we might try to chase that celebrity and not yep. reach it. Yes, but we can, whatever our age, our ability, we can be of some significance to someone.
1: Yep, absolutely. And and as you say, we just—we're absolutely. Surrounded with examples of people who are who have celebrity who keep saying, Freddie Mercury was one he mm. said it's given me everything except the one thing I need meaningful relationship. Mm. just recently, I saw a, a a beauty queen from the United States who tragically didn't make it through her her challenges and her demons, but at one point she said, Why should I keep chasing these things when they only deliver emptiness in the end. Mm. So yep. significant lesson.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I'd like to finish off with this question, Graham. Mm. What would you say to a younger version of yourself? What advice would you give to a 25-year-old, Graham?
1: Yeah, I tell you what. Can I move that back a little bit to mm. a, let me ask a 21-year-old, 21, Graham. Sure. Yeah, because I think that for me, three things, I guess, and so I'll work back to number one. Number three would be to make sure you have a flexible kit bag of resources that you can apply across a range of challenges. Don't get locked in on one path because the rate of change, uh, which is exponential, means that uh, if you're too locked into one thing, it may become redundant before you actually get to do it. So a flexible kit bag of resources with a lifelong commitment to learning I guess the second thing I would say is realize that some choices have irrevocable consequences. And because of how we grow and how we're wired, we sometimes have to make those choices when we're least qualified to do it, when we're most vulnerable to peer pressure when we're most seeking to belong at whatever cost Mm -hmm. working with homeless young people I found that I never met one homeless young person who had an effective affective relationship to a caring adult in other words someone in their life would tell them the truth they didn't want to hear because they cared about them and stay around to pick up the pieces and really listen to them and really be present with them. Mm. So if you, above all else, find someone who can, you know, it wasn't, that's why I say go back to 21. I wish a lovely guy called Bob Risden came into my life and was just one of those gifted people who can hold one end of the string and know which knot you're supposed to untie but not tell you what it is, just <laughs> help you to find it out. for you. And he said to me a couple of times, I could tell you used to call me Cobber, I could tell you Cobber, but the important thing is for you to find it for yourself and in the, in the right time you will. It's a Salvation Army uh, captain, lovely, lovely man. So so find someone like that. And then the final thing, I guess, is that because of this, this situation as a young person where you can get it so wrong so easily, and when I'm talking about the people sitting in front of a, a, a hoarding apologising, that could so easily have been me. And I don't say it in any sense to put them down, rather to say how merciful God's been to me and they simply believed a lie. This whole idea of if I can get it, then I'll be happy.
0: Thank you so much, Graham. It's been such a soulful conversation and so many gems of wisdom we can take away in our attempt to live a good life, a meaningful and purposeful life. I'd like to also thank our listeners and our great team who work behind the scenes to bring Mind and Soul Matters to you. If you wish to keep up to date with new episodes, follow Mind and Soul Matters on social media and subscribe on your preferred podcast app. You can find us on most podcast platforms and on our website mindandsoulmatters.podbean.com. For any comments, email Matters at gmail.com. Look forward to your company next time on Mind and Soul Matters.